and welcome to The Scent Podcast, where we look at culture through kingdom perspective. My name's Alec, and I'm here with Mike. Hey! And today we are going to start a new series called The Battle of the Minds. In this episode, we're going to use a psychological approach mixed with kingdom perspective. So hopping in, there are a lot of psychological issues that we have to deal with. Anxiety, negativity, depression, there's so many. But where I want to start is with social media. This is a huge influence in our culture. Uh, and I have a psychological study actually pulled up. Okay. Now, before we dive into this psychological study, there's an important idea that we need to keep in mind that there's nature and nurture. Nature is our genetics, what predisposes us to certain behaviors. And nurture is the compilation of all of our experiences that have impacted who we are today. In this study, it says that nearly one in three of all adolescents ages 13 to 18 will experience an anxiety disorder. These numbers have been rising steadily, and between 2007 and 2012, anxiety disorders in children and teens went up 20%. 2007, this is right about when... Social media started to take off. Yeah. Exactly. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this number is a lot higher now. Uh, These stats combined with the rate of hospital admissions for suicidal teenagers doubling between 2007 and 2012 makes us wonder what's going on here. This study I actually disagree with. It thinks that there's three important factors. One of them is high expectations and the pressure to succeed. It thinks that that could be a viable reason why these numbers are going up. I don't necessarily agree with this. I think we live in a culture where schooling is important. That being said, the emphasis between even 2007 and now on getting good grades has gone down. Yeah. In BC here, we're about to experience grades 8s and 9s no longer receiving percentages or grades. Yeah, so you'll go right from kindergarten to high school without receiving a letter grade. And that's when grades matter. That's already, if you see you got C's on your report card, it's already too late. That's part of your GPA now. Yeah, once you're in grade 10, you start getting a letter grade, and now and now colleges start looking at it, and you have no idea what kind of progress you're at. Yeah, I think the pressure to succeed for sure went up in the 90s and early 2000s. That's changing now. And then another reason it says is that the world feels scary and threatening. That we've seen an increase in school shootings, lockdown drills, and lots of things to fear while at school. I think there is a seriousness to school shootings. It's awful. Absolutely. But I don't think that it's a contributing factor to why our culture and adolescence as a whole is experiencing anxiety. Yes, I agree with that. Now, the third reason is social media. And I think this one has lots of validity. We've talked about comparison throughout multiple podcasts. We've said that in marriage, you compare your wife to all of your past lovers and you can't help it. And how damaging that is, of course. Yeah. yeah. We talked about with Joseph comparing the season you're in now compared to the temple that you want to be in. And social media is a playground of comparison. The study says this. It's not surprising that their self-esteem and worldview becomes connected to responses to social media posts. It's hard for them not to compare their life and social connections 
to what they see others posting on social media. Like, like for example, the like button. Something that was designed to spread love across the network actually became something that forced us to compare ourselves to others. Yeah. The large majority of teens use social media and we're now seeing higher rates of low self-esteem as a result of that. Social media affects social relationships and participation in community. And that's a large majority of what Christianity is all about, is how we engage in our relationships while we're here and how we participate in our communities. Social media totally can be tools, but with all of the negative facts that we're seeing through this study and all of the possibilities of how our worldview could be formed in a negative way, I think we all should ask ourselves, is it the wise thing to keep social media? So let's see what the Bible has to say about anxiety and negative thoughts. So we'll turn to Philippians 4, and I'll start in in verse 4. Now a little bit of context on what's going on here. We have Paul writing. He's writing from house arrest, basically. Not not the same house arrest that we all know and love. It's uh, it's a bit different. (laughs) Basically, you're in a different Roman soldier's house every eight hours. So after the eighth hour, you switch to a new Roman soldier's house and you stay with him. But the world would say that he has every right to be anxious and stressed and maybe even a little depressed. But yet he writes, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I think this is very profound, um, to, to say the least. Considering the situation that he's in, he is saying that you need to rejoice in the Lord always. And I think that life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And I think this is what Paul is touching on. Like I said, with, with depression and anxiety being the most prevalent psychological diagnosis, um, we are so negative in our thoughts and we carry this out. If you look in Proverbs 4, it says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Hmm. So when we are so negative, Christians often believe that there's a disconnect from God when this happens, which which there is. The opposite of love is fear, right? So whenever we have these negative thoughts, we feel disconnected from God. And the only thing that can bring that back is is the, the peace of God. So like these thoughts, these negative thoughts, they have power, right? They're, they're very powerful, as we can tell. However, the good news is we have power over our thoughts. We just have to be careful because um, when we feel in danger, when we f- have that fear, uh, there's this really cool feature, dare I say, in your brain that when there's fear, your, your brain will release cortisol, throwing us into a fight or flight mode, which is great. You're very alert. You're open to uh, a dangerous situation. You'll be able to think critically and think fast. But it's also, if you are constantly in that state, it is, it is very damaging. You know, Paul also writes, The mind governed by the flesh is death. It is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So we have to be very careful not to be, not to be in this constant state of negativity and be led by the spirit. I think that there are, there are four major categories of negativity that 
that we find ourselves in. And I, and I, I want every listener to kind of hear what I have to say about each, each of these categories and, and think of which one really resonates with them. One that maybe you need to work on. The first category is called relational cynicism. Now, relational cynicism is basically a general distrust in people and their motives. Um, we constantly are thinking that they're out to get me. It's every man for himself out there. Oh, the company doesn't care about you, and and they're just they're just here to make money. They don't they don't care about anything. It's every man for himself. And it is a very interesting uh, negative thought because a lot of psychologists might say that this is usually a reflection on how you feel about yourself. Sometimes you aren't actually totally settled in your own motives. Uh, the second category is called negative filtering. Now this is this is this often looks like overlooking what's good or right and focusing only on the bad or sometimes thinking of the worst possible outcomes, which is uh, very prevalent in in anxiety. We oftentimes think of the worst possible situation and sometimes sometimes people will tell you that that's a good thing to do. Like you should be thinking about the worst thing so you're prepared for it. But it is damaging because you you often are ruining what God maybe is show, showing is good. You know, God God looked at the world he created and he said that it was good. So when you just filter out all the good stuff, you don't focus on it. You're only focusing on the bad. It will damage your mind. Uh, the, the third category is absolute thinking. You know, that everything is black and white. You know, we see this a lot where somebody is maybe hurt by a man and then now believe that all men are bad and all men are hurtful. You know, or maybe if you make a mistake, sometimes you turn it back on yourself. Oh, man, I must be so stupid. I'm just worthless, you know. Um, and, and, and a lot of the time, this also absolute thinking, you will be a jerk to somebody because you're right. And you might be right. And you will stand in that and be a complete jerk. But I tell you something, just because you're right doesn't make you righteous. Hmm. And the last, the last category is blaming. You know, this is the idea of playing the victim, which is another big thing in our society where you have no control over your life. Everything that, every bad experience that you've had is somebody else's fault. You had no choice. It's because of his bad decision that I'm in this condition. Um, uh, it, it's that it's this kind of idea, which is another thing that is super damaging. Just just take a minute to think which one of those really really is in your life, uh, because if you can start to focus on that and fix it, I it, it'll it'll change the way you view your day. For yeah. Sure. Now we've looked at lots of negative forms of thinking, the four ways you said, the negative impacts that social media can hold on us between anxiety and fear. And I just want to finish up that Philippians verse you started. It's funny. I have the end of it. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the key, I think, two verses of the next four or five episodes we're going to do. It gives us a practical that we are supposed to present our requests to God. 
And then after that, we are supposed to be thankful for the things he's done for us in the past. Remembering that our God is a good God. This is a theme throughout the Old Testament too. That we are supposed to remember the miracles. Go back to them. Build our faith with them. And then it gives us peace. Which transcends all understanding. And this will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First Peter, it talks about the enemy as a prowling lion. He's waiting for your vulnerable heart. He's waiting for your mind to be susceptible to his attacks. And I love that this is the answer. That if we are feeling anxious, if we're feeling fearful, if we're feeling negative, that we stop, we pray, we ask God for what we need, and we remember what he's done for us in the past. And this will guard our hearts and our minds with peace. I think it's just a cool full picture that it sets up the problem. It shows you the answer. And as a bonus of fixing that first problem, you're also protecting your heart and your mind, which are two huge things. And so I I just think that those are a really cool two verses. Yeah, super cool. Now, transitioning from there, I kind of want to talk about pride and insecurity a little bit. Now, I didn't know this until about a year ago, and maybe I was the only one, but I didn't realize that pride and insecurity are two sides of the same coin. They're the same. Now, they are both rooted in selfishness, and they just present themselves in different ways. Pride says, I'm so great, look at me. And insecurity goes, I'm so bad, everyone's looking at me. Both of them are self-focused, and as you are thinking like that, You are now not thinking of anyone around you. You are not able to love the people around you. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And I think we get that mixed around sometimes, that the priority is still love. A selfishness presents itself through pride and insecurity. As far as insecurity goes, self-pity is a form of insecurity. And one quote says that it is the most damaging emotion to get caught up in. How awful to get caught up in the terrible squirrel cage of self. The idea that even NF raps about, that he puts himself in a prison and he's holding the keys. Mm. That's what insecurity is. And you're expecting that everyone is going to look at you in that cage and laugh at you. But you're the one keeping yourself there. I I think humility. Humility? (laughs) There's no way I just said that. (laughs) You did. Humility. Humility is something that we all need to make sure we're operating in. We can all fall into pride or insecurity very easily. And this is something that we see with the story of Judas. Now, I want to let you tell the story. We were talking about it at breakfast yesterday. Break it down like you broke it for me. Okay, sure. So, basically, I was looking uh, into Matthew. This is after... um, listening to Bema uh, session three. It, it constantly refers to Judas as the betrayer, right? Which every time we think of the betrayal, we think of what? Judas handing Jesus over. That's right. Judas selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? That's, that's the big betrayal that we all see. Well, the thing is, in the paragraph that you find in Matthew, there's actually two betrayals. There's Judas... That is selling Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. And then there's also Peter who denies Jesus three times. Now, if we go back to what a ancient Eastern Jewish perspective would be, 
ancient as in, I guess, 2,000 years ago, what their perspective of, of the, those two situations, because let's be clear about Judas. Judas wasn't just selling away his rabbi for 30 pieces of silver. He was doing what he thought was right. He was doing, he, he, just, he just didn't understand Jesus' intention. He thought that the fight wasn't spiritual, but more physical. You know, I, I can see a misunderstanding. Like, you know, Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword. And Judas took that in a very uh, literal sense, I guess. So he was basically speeding, trying to speed up that process. He was bringing the, the guards there and going to settle everything that night at Passover. Once he, once he did that, he realized his mistake and felt super guilty, right? Now, now there's, Peter's, um, there's Peter's betrayal, which is denying his, his rabbi three times. Now, in that perspective of a Jewish reader... If you had asked them, what is the bigger betrayal? They would have said, Peter's, 100% Peter's. Because Judas was trying to do what he thought the rabbi wanted and failed. Rather, Peter just denounced him altogether and completely disassociated from him. And, and at this time, when he did that, right, it says that he had realized his mistake after he heard the, the rooster crow. Um, he wept and... And we, we realize that he is no longer a disciple of Jesus at this time. It says that when Jesus is resurrected, or uh, the angel that was in the tomb says, go alert, the, don't, go tell the disciples and Peter. There's only 11 disciples at this time. Because this is Peter completely denouncing himself. He will be uh, redeemed in that and become a disciple again. But after he denounced his association with Jesus, that was, that was a major betrayal. But here's the thing. They still refer to Judas as the betrayer. So I would challenge to say that him selling Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver isn't the betrayal that they're talking about. I would say that, that Judas then realizes his mistake and commits suicide. He, he hangs himself from a tree. I think that, that that was the betrayal because Peter, like I said, he gets redeemed. He repents and comes back to Jesus. However, Judas just is so distraught, so upset about his mistake, and he, and he kills himself. I, I would say that I think that is the betrayal of Jesus. I think that's what gave him the name Judas the Betrayer. Yeah. And after we talked about this, I was doing some thinking. And given Judas's history, you know, he's a very Jewish man. He knows that when you're hung from a tree, that is a way that when you die, you are cursed. And he knows that. And so what I was wondering is maybe, you know, along the lines of he had a Jewish perspective of Jesus that when he came down, it would be a physical revolution. What if Peter got repentance right and Judas realized how wrong what he did was, but then he still was caught in that physical mindset of repentance where he feels so bad he needs to go out in the most cursed way possible. I don't know. This was just a thought. I, that's that I had. really cool. No, I really like that perspective. I don't really, I don't know, but I, I hadn't even thought of it like that. I think that's a really cool perspective. Yeah. That's and interesting. The, and also along those lines, this goes kind of back to the pride thing. If you don't look at it that way, then you look at what Jesus did. He also hung off a cross, he hung off a tree, mm. which was a cursed way to die. But for him, it was a means to an ends. Now, if you don't look at the Judas story this way, 
this was his selfish way out, his ends, and that's the betrayal. And so that ties to what you're saying with the ultimate betrayal being the suicide is the selfish way out. The major difference between Judas and Jesus was selfishness versus humility in terms of how they approach the tree. Mm, that's good. Pride is something that gets in the way of your help. All the time we see this. You you think, oh, no, I'm good enough to, to do it on my own. And when you get caught in the negative thoughts, I'd argue that you really can't do it on your own. And there was a really cool TED, TED Ed talk uh, that talked about a social experiment that kind of displayed how difficult it is to get out of negative thinking. Um, so basically what they did is they, they had two groups of people. One of them, they, they said, okay, we have this new uh, surgical procedure that has a 70% success rate. Whoa. Do you think that's a good procedure? And the people said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. 70%, that's pretty good. Now, the other group of people laid out the same situation, except they said, now this procedure has a 30% fail rate. This is saying the same thing, right? Yeah. Just in a different way. But guess what those people said? Ooh, 30%. Yeah, that's probably not the right way to go. So then they said to the people that, that was given the positive um, question, they said, okay, but now knowing that there's a 70% success rate, there is also a 30% fail rate. Do you still think this is a good procedure? And they went, uh, well, I guess maybe not. Yeah, I would say that that's a, that's a bad procedure. Let's not do that. And then the, the folks that were given the bad question, the bad way of phrasing the question, were said, okay, knowing that there's a 30% fail rate, there's also a 70% success rate. Do you still think that this is a poor procedure? And they said, yeah, still bad. Hmm. Which, is, which is interesting because, number one, how influential um, the negative is. You know, taking the people from saying that it was a good procedure to, oh, yeah, I guess maybe not. But also, once they, once they started off with the negative thoughts, once brought up something positive, they were still rooted in the negativity. Now, now you might ask yourself, if I struggle with negative thoughts and anxiety, how do I combat that? Now, I think it's important that we, that we look to the clinical literature on, on what people devoted their lives to understanding and it, and it's spelled out fairly clear. A, a, this is a great exercise, and I cur- I'd encourage you to sit down with somebody who loves you, somebody who you love, and and do this with them. Lay out in detail what you are anxious and afraid about. Like sit down and really dive in. Like get ready with a with a pen and paper. Like lay it out in ways that that gets down to the root. Then. Then once you have that, expose yourself to those things. Expose yourself to those fears. Now, now this isn't a new concept, but a lot of folks are discouraged by it because you expose yourself to it, and guess what? I'm not less afraid. Well, that's not necessarily what it's doing. You won't be less afraid, but you'll get braver. When you take on a stressor voluntarily, 
your brain uses a completely different psychophysiological system than if it were brought on involuntarily. Um, it's, it's the offensive over defensive. Now, if we look at Moses, okay, Moses had a lot against him. He was one guy going up against Pharaoh, um, which would have brought on a lot of stress and anxiety because you are working solely on faith and, and trying to free your people. But he continued to confront those fears. He continued to confront Pharaoh. And I wouldn't say that he was ignorant to the fears that come along with that. No. No, he wouldn't, he, because ignorance is not bravery. Sometimes we think of that, oh, wow, he's not even scared. So brave. That's not what bravery, bravery is. Bravery is, is doing in, despite the fear. So if you expose yourself to these things that you're afraid of, if you get them out in the open and voluntarily expose yourself to them, you will become braver. Yeah. Courage and bravery are action words, not feelings. Mm. I think that's something we all need to keep in mind as we battle against an enemy who loves to prey off fear. We need to combat that fear. We're still going to feel the emotions. We're still going to be affected by it. But we don't have to let that be the final say. That we get to battle against that by acting in the opposite direction of it. We can sometimes become wishy-washy on our fears and anxieties and think that maybe God is even giving them to us to test us. But that's against the exact nature of God who is love. I think that we live in a broken, fallen world where the enemy tries to use those things. And yet, as we combat them with courage and bravery, then God uses them for our good in the future. And I think that's an important thing to remember, that if you're stuck in anxiety, if you're stuck in fear, that's not God's will for your life. That's as a result of the broken world. And as you push through that, God will use it. Mm, That's good. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today's episode. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope to see you next week. Peace out, y'all.